0: How are you thinking about it? You good? I saw sunshine yesterday, and that made me happy. You did? It was it was cloudy when I got here this morning. I need to rush outside real quick. Um, So um, this morning, when I was praying over today, I saw a piece of machinery. I do not know the name of it, but it has like a corkscrew and it works in a field. What is that called? Combine? Anyway, whatever that machine is called, I feel like what the Lord is doing today is there is a field in your life, in your heart, that is um, hard and there's nothing growing in it and that this is supposed to touch that part of your life and break ground because God wants to plant a seed and grow something new. So, um, so we've been uh, working on our 2020 vision in January and the last two weeks, Kurt was talking about this feeling of change and we're seeing it. We're seeing it in our culture and in our country, aren't we? Things feel like they're shifting, and we're feeling it in our church. We want to be the kind of church that God wants to meet the culture as missionaries. And sometimes that means changing the way we do things, right? And sometimes that means not knowing what's ahead. And so uh, he asked us to pray about a couple things. That was a giant giant leap. It went like three, you guys. What's happening? (laughs) That was weird. I feel like my button is hypersensitive today. So back me up, David. So the first week he said, this is January 12th, when he talked about God's wanting to do something new. Do you want to be a part of it? Count the cost. Is this important enough for you to ask our Father God to do this in you and through you? And then, last week, the prayer was, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. Use me to help build that. So how are you feeling about those things? How are you feeling about the thought that change is the existence we're in right now? I have a couple thoughts. First of all, I'm kind of excited because I like change. I'm not, like, against it. I kind of like mixing things up a bit. I'm the kind of person that moves furniture around in my house for no reason. Um, I kind of like it. I like something fresh and new. I get bored with routine. So I'm excited. I like that. That's that's good. At the same time, I have no control over the change. (laughs) So I'm a little apprehensive. I'm a little bit, like, uncertain. What is coming? And I'm also a bit sad because... Anytime there's change, it means that you're going to have to say goodbye to something you probably love, things that were great, things that have worked really well. It's easy to change when things are bad and the change feels like a positive uptick, isn't it? It's harder to change when God's asking you to move from something you love to something you've never experienced before. So I'm feeling a bit of grief about letting the past go, um, and I'm also, I've got a, a healthy dose of fear going on, <laughs> because as a church staff person, this impending change could affect my life significantly, I don't know, I don't know if God doesn't want any of us to be here anymore, like I don't know, what, what does this mean, and so I have this sense of, man, I hope we hear him clearly, <laughs> And man, I hope we do the right thing. I'm terrified that we get this wrong. So that's just where I'm at. (laughs) No big deal. But I was thinking that uh, the change that we're experiencing is not just about this church. Because my friends have been talking to me lately about caring for aging parents and having to make significant decisions about their care, and there is change coming Um, I have other friends who are having babies and it's totally changing their lives and they're having to adjust to that or making decisions about their kids and how to school them and and where to live and the direction of life or praying about major work changes. My husband's had change at work and he's like, ah, it just, it leaves you feeling a bit uncertain about things. You know, you might have retirement coming down the pipeline, you might have, like, all of these changes, we're just in a time of change. its It feels less stable, doesn't it? Life just feels less stable. And it might just be that I'm 45, and so I'm kind of old now. But when I was a kid, you could dream, like, what would you like to be when you grow up? And you could be like, well, I want to be a this or that. And that's actually what you could have become. My kids, can't even dream about what they might become because their jobs don't exist yet. That's how uncertain our time is, right? Somebody was telling me that they started saving um, for college, you know, and I was like, well, we're not saving for college. But then another friend said to me, don't worry, who even knows if college will be a thing by the time your kids get to college? And I was like, what? (laughs) What? We are in a time of change, aren't we? Lots of change. So... Uh, we need God's help. And this is what distinguishes God's people from people who don't know God. We're not in this alone. We don't have to freak out. The one who made all things is still in charge. Right? So we're in our Old Testament series, and our Father God is so wonderful. He has us in 1 Samuel today. And... Um, the question we're asking is when faced with change, what do we do? What do we need to know to be led by Him? So that's what we're doing today. Sound good? All right, we have a really amazing person praying for the sermon today. His name's Josh. I'm married to him, he's excellent. He is, the, <laughs> he is the perfect person to pray for today. Thank you, honey.
1: Thank you for today. Uh, thank you for what you're
0: leading us into and through. Let our spirits and our hearts, our minds, be open to your direction and your leading, whether it's similar things that we've done or different things that
1: we've done. Let us be excited about what you're doing in our lives. Father, thank you for this message today and just ask that you let our hearts be open to hearing. Hearing what you need us to hear as a body and as individuals. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. There's this beautiful passage in Acts that gives the perfect recap of where we are in the Old Testament. I'm so excited. I love it. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. That's kind of long. After that, God gave them judges, and that's where we've been, right? We've just been in the book of Judges um, before Christmas time, to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. And then the people begged for a king. So that's where we are today. Um, When God brought them out of Egypt, just remember this key moment. God said to the people of Israel, I would like to be your God. I would like to be your provider, your leader. I would like to protect you, and I would like to guide you. Would you like to be my children? And do you remember what they said? All of them in unison said, yes, we will do what you say. And then immediately... Did the opposite of what he said. It's excellent. So, um, and that's really, I mean, this fall, when we did all the journey, I mean, I guess we've been doing this since last Easter, this series of the Old Testament. It hasn't been very great, because Israel is, like, not excellent at this. And so it's been kind of depressing, but I have great news. Guess where we are today? You ready? I'm so excited, you guys. Then Samuel addressed the house of Israel, if you are truly serious about coming back to Yahweh, clean house. Get rid of the foreign gods and fertility goddesses. Ground yourselves firmly with Yahweh. Worship him and him alone, and he'll save you from Philistine oppression. They did it. We should cheer right now for Israel. <laughs> they did it. Ah, oh, They got rid of the gods and goddesses, the images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and gave their exclusive attention and service to Yahweh. Next, Samuel said, get everyone together at Mitzvah and I'll pray for you. So everyone assembled at Mitzvah. They drew water from the wells and poured it out before Yahweh in a ritual of cleansing. They fasted all day and prayed, we have sinned against Yahweh. Clean slate. This is incredible. They got it, you guys. They're finally God's people. Also, this could be a great service idea, right? A day of fasting and saying we've sinned. Washing? Maybe. Let's schedule it. Let's do that. (laughs) And then we skip a bit all about Samuel's leadership. Samuel's really interesting because he ends up being the last judge and he's also known as the first prophet. So he's this incredible intersection of a man who walked with God and a man who led the people. We haven't really seen that with a lot of the judges, right? So we've got this... It's incredible, his leadership. Samuel gave solid leadership to Israel his entire life. Yay. What happens next? It's not great. Um, (laughs) When Samuel got to be an old man, he set his sons up as judges in Israel, but his sons didn't take after him. They were out for what they could get for themselves, taking bribes, corrupting justice, fed up, All the elders of Israel got together and confronted Samuel at Ramah. They presented their case Look, you're an old man and your sons aren't following in your footsteps. Here's what we want you to do appoint a king to rule us just like everyone else. When Samuel heard their demand, give us a king to rule us, he was crushed. How awful! Samuel prayed to Yahweh. He was crushed? His sons were bad. Bad. We can see that, right? Bad. Why was he crushed that Israel didn't want to have them as leaders? It makes perfect sense to me, you guys. They were fed up. I totally get that. They've had a great run with Samuel. It's been extraordinary. And they're looking at the sons, and the elders are saying, this is unwise, and we don't want it why is that awful? <laughs> is, that, like, is that weird to you? Also, it reminds me of King Jesus. Why is it bad that they would crave a king? Aren't we supposed to crave a king? Aren't we supposed to want somebody to lead us? Yahweh answered, Samuel, go ahead and do what they're asking. They are not rejecting you. They've rejected me as their king. That's the key. From the day I brought them out of Egypt until this very day, they've been behaving like this, leaving me for other gods. The human king they want is a god to them. They want a human leader instead of God as their leader. It just reveals the inner workings of us, doesn't it? The problem with judges is that they shouldn't have needed the judges. They shouldn't have needed it. You know what I'm saying? They had God. God said, I want to have a personal relationship. You want to be my people? I'll be your God. Yes, we will do what you say. And then they didn't do what he said. And so he had to send in rescuers to fix it. Over and over and over. And isn't this just like heart surgery for us? Open up your heart and look in. This is us. Thank the Lord we have the Holy Spirit to help us not be stuck there. They did not have the Holy Spirit's help. This is what humans are like without God. Even though they're God's people. (laughs) It should have been better than this. So uh, Josh and I have three kids, 11, nine, they just had a birthday, so I'm trying to keep track, and five. And um, from a very young age, we've used the phrase, like from tiny baby age, we've used the phrase, I need you to listen and obey. And it's a biblical context, a, a, a concept actually, it's where hearing God is not enough, it's a hearing and obeying. It's a 2 It's a two. You can't have one without the other. You can't be like, well, I'm a hearer of God. That's not a thing. It's a hearer and doer. It's, it's a hand in hand, right? So we've been saying to our kids, I need you to listen and obey. I need you to do both. Why? Because babies and children and teenagers do not have a frontal cortex. So it's a part of... <laughs> this, is my, this is my reasoning for why. I think parents are an external frontal cortex that keeps children alive until they grow one for themselves. Because without your frontal cortex, you make decisions according to your own wisdom, and you have zero. So when I say to my kids, hey, time to hop in the shower, why do I have to shower? Because you smell. So, well. Or hey, um, choose a healthy snack, crackers no, is that healthy? No, every day, a fruit and a vegetable, am I a broken record? All the time. Every day I have this battle with them. And then, you know, the people who give my kids candy, stop, because then they're like, "But I have a candy, is that healthy? Like, we just have this debate back and forth all the time, all the time. So, there's angst, they push back, sometimes real hard, because, surprise, surprise, I have strong-willed children I don't know where that came from. Probably from Josh. And and actually, you're very stubborn, so yeah. We're the perfect mix of strong will. Um, And so this is what we say to them. Am I trying to make your life bad or am I trying to make your life good? Good. Great. Then can you trust me and listen to what I'm saying to you? I'm really not trying to make you, do you think, I, you know, oh, let me think, how could I torture them? I know, I'm going to make them take a shower so they don't smell like I'm evil, you know? But they just push back so hard. And in my mind, I've thought, you know what will help? You turn 25, you grow a frontal cortex, and then you're good. I mean, we're really talking about a lag in maturity, and that's why children have caregivers, Right? and I've been thinking this for a long time, and then I learned something new. So we're gonna watch a little video.
1: Neurobiologically, the single most important fact about, say, a 20-year-old brain is the fact that almost all of it is already matured, fully wired up, myelinated, jargony term for it. The reward dopamine system has been going full blast since somewhere around like early puberty. All of the brain is totally up to speed except for the frontal cortex. Probably the most interesting fact about human development is the frontal cortex is the last part of the brain to fully mature. It is not completely online until you're about 25 years old which is mind-boggling to think about. What does that explain? That explains why adolescents are adolescent in their behavior. The sensation-seeking and the risk-taking and the highs are higher and the lows are lower because the steadying frontal cortical hand there isn't fully up to speed yet and everything else is a gyroscope out of control. And that's where the impulsivity is from and that's where the extremes of behavior, and that's why most crime is committed by people at a stage whose frontal cortex is not fully developed yet. That is why most people who do astonishing, wondrously self-sacrificial things don't have a frontal cortex that's fully in gear yet either and is not in a position to convince them yet, ah, somebody else's problem, look the other way. That's why young adults are exactly how they are, because the frontal cortex isn't quite there yet. And what you have as a result is more adventurousness, and more open to novelty, and more likelihood of seeing somebody who is very different as in fact not to being that different after all. And more likely to grab a cudgel and smash in somebody's skull who happens to seem like a them, and everything, just the tone of everything is pushed up. One incredibly important implication of that is if the frontal cortex is the last part of the brain to fully mature, it means it's the part of the brain that is most sculpted by environment and experience and least constrained by genes. And it's the most interesting part of the brain. Meanwhile, look at the other end of it. Look at 60-year-olds and what's going on there. If you were a 60-year-old human or, say, a rat equivalent of a 60-year-old, you were far more close to novelty than a 20-year-old than an adolescent rat is. Take a rat, for example, and see at what points in life is it willing to try a new food, and exactly the equivalent of late teenage years, early adulthood, and then you close to novelty any species out there shows that pattern, including humans. So a 60-year-old is resistant to change, is resistant to somebody else's novelty. A 60-year-old, unlike a 20-year-old, deals with stress in a very particular way. If you're 20, what stress management is about is trying to overcome the stressor and defeat it. If you're 60, what stress management is about is learning to accommodate what things you're not going to be able to change, and there's nothing you can do about the fact that your knees hurt like hell, and it's accommodating, it's learning the difference between what you can change and what you can't. If you're 20, there's nothing in the world you can't change. By the time you're 60, what knowledge, what intelligence is mostly about is crystallized fact-based knowledge and crystallized strategies for dealing with that knowledge. What a 20-year-old intelligence is about is fluid, improvising, changing of set, reversing of orders. All of that is a very, very different sort of picture. 20 and 60-year-old brains and 20 and 60-year-old social worlds are remarkably different.
0: Isn't that interesting? All this time I thought the problem was they just needed to mature so they could have wisdom. It turns out we all have a problem. Our frontal cortex is built on, did you hear what he said, our experiences. And so wisdom that we perceive as wisdom is not actually wisdom. It's just a product of what we've experienced. It's interesting to me that it was the elders of Israel that came and said, your sons are far too risky. And we perceive there is a more logical, safe, wise solution. And it is to have a king because we're seeing it in other nations and it's going really well. Interesting, isn't that? There's a part of me, this is confession time, guys. There's a part of me that has thought the people who aren't able to follow God wisely are our young people because they're still learning and we give lots of grace, right? My kids, do they know how to hear God like I know how to hear God? I have years of experience, but we're both handicapped. Their handicap is that they prefer risk, And my handicap is that I prefer something a little more solid. Does that make sense? Our ability to follow God is affected by our brains. Reminds me of that verse that says, take captive every thought that exalts itself above the lordship of Jesus. The name of Jesus. I don't know if you've thought that your wise thoughts are thoughts that are exalting themselves above Jesus. Because I've equated wisdom and Jesus to be the same thing. Is that a challenge to you? You guys, this is hitting me hard because I am experiencing a time of change and I'm feeling inside of me that I want to find the right solution The wise path, the one with least risk, the one with more assured success. Does that make sense? And because of that, I might miss God altogether. Yahweh answered, Samuel, go ahead and do what they're asking. They're not rejecting you. They've rejected me as their king from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this very day they've been behaving like this, leaving me for other gods. And now they're doing it to you. So let them have their own way, but warn them of what they're in for. Tell them the way kings operate, just what they're likely to get from a king. So Samuel told them, delivered Yahweh's warning to the people who were asking him to give them a king. He said, this is the way the kind of king you're talking about operates. He'll take your sons and make soldiers of them. He'll put some to forced labor on his farms, others to making either weapons of war or chariots in which he can ride in luxury. He'll put your daughters to work. He'll conscript your best fields, vineyards and orchards and hand them over to his special friends. He'll tax your harvests and vintage to support his extensive bureaucracy. Your prize workers and best animals he'll take for his own use. He'll lay attacks on your flocks and you'll end up no better than slaves. The day will come when you will cry in desperation because of this king you wanted so much for yourselves. But don't expect Yahweh to answer. But the people wouldn't listen to Samuel. No, their frontal cortex has said. We will have a king to rule us. Then we'll be, like just, all, well, we'll be just like all the other nations. Our king will rule us and lead us and fight our battles. We're sure of this. We've thought this through. This is wisdom. We see it in action. Other nations are working this out. We don't have to take risk anymore. This is a good choice. Guys, I do this. (laughs) I totally do this. Man. Following God is hard work. Following a human king is easier. Here are the laws, if you don't do them, you get beheaded or put in prison or fined, depending on which era of life you're in, or era of mankind, right? And having a real firm law of the land reduces risk, right? Following God individually without any laws or rules, like it just, that's crazy talk. Isn't it? There's no way in my household am I going to say to the kids, you can do whatever God tells you. Have fun. I don't trust that they will hear him because you know what? <laughs> Actually, this happened. We were praying with Zeke about something a few weeks ago, and Zeke was like, you know what I feel he's saying? <laughs> that that maybe Satan has candy. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was like, buddy, I'm telling you, that's not God. You're not hearing him. Let's try again. And then I was like, Jesus, actually talk to my son. Quick, 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 like make this. He's five, he's trying. So there's no way I'm gonna be like, you're on your own, kid. I trust that you and God will work this out because there is a place. God is a very orderly God, isn't he? And we have rules from him. We've just worked out a way to justify not living them. It's like we want a God. We do. We want a God. And then when he says, read my word, you go, ah, do I have to though? Like maybe on Sundays I'll read the word when it's on the screen. (laughs) No, he says, read the word. So are we reading the word? Well if I'm in a show hall and I don't have a Netflix thing to watch or, oh, my kids are up all night, so now I don't have time. I mean, there are lots of reasons why, but to be God's people, you have to read his word. You know what I'm saying? And if you flip it too far, you'll get into religiosity and you will do it out of works and there's no life at all in that. Fine line, this is hard work. Being God's people, hard work. Josh and I have started CrossFit, well, two months ago. I want to swear, I do swear quite a bit during the workouts because it's such hard work that it makes me cry. Have you cried yet? (laughs) (laughs) And coach said to us this last week, you are here because you want to get fit, yes or no? And I was like, yes. And then it's like, then keep, I did, you guys, right here, right now, I'm in a lot of pain. It's hard work, but we're doing it because we want to be strong and we want to be healthy. Okay? Following God is hard work. And anyone that says it's not hard work, okay, there are green pastures and peaceful rivers, but sometimes you have to hike your face off to get to them. You know what I'm saying? So... They are opting out. We don't want this. We don't want it. We don't wanna have to wait on you and hear for guidance. Should we go to war or not go to war? They're coming, God, you better speak. Still hasn't spoken, send for the prophets. I mean, it was hard work for them to make any decisions. It took a long time. What's interesting is, I think when we get to a decision in life, we think, uh, let's just say there's a good choice and a bad choice, or a right choice and a wrong choice, okay? It's often that there are 20 great choices, and you're asking God which one to take. But let's just dial it back to 101 right now. There's a good and a bad choice, and you're like, God, just tell me which one's bad. Just tell me. This is where Josh and I are right now, praying about our future. Just tell us. Your way, not your way, just tell us. And there's a fear in me that if I choose not his way, that he is no longer with me and he's no longer my God. But God is not a God, he's not a magic eight ball. He's not like, if you walk, you know, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? If you get it wrong, guess what? Same God, same love, same one who will stick with you and guide you. We have made it like, almost paralyzing to make decisions because we're so anxious to hear the right way. And what the right way is, is that we walk in relationship with him. That is the right way. And along the way, we will make bad choices and we will learn more about him. Does that make sense? Adam and Eve... This is our ancient DNA, friends, classically decided that there was a much better way than his plan, and they believed that it really was better, and it seems so ludicrous to me who is not in a garden looking at a tree of fruit. That just seems ludicrous. I'm like, they had one job. <laughs> the one job was don't eat the fruit. How? I mean, I feel this about football right now. You have one job, run the ball down to the... We pay them a lot of money and they can't even do the one job. So, one job, Adam and Eve, one job. This is how easy it is for our brains to tell us you have wisdom, you should trust it, it's actually God, the wisdom you have, so go with it. Do you feel that in your own life? You feel that pull? Without even knowing it's happening, (laughs) I'm now looking back going. There's a lot in my life where I was like, I'm sure that is the Lord. And really when I examine it, I am now sure that it was my frontal cortex. And God still loves me and he still led me and he's still walking with me. And the Holy Spirit says, this is the way, walk in it. And we still listen for that voice and we still know he's speaking, right? But following him is hard work. Also, this makes me laugh. The, the king that got chosen Cracks me up. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Clearly, that's a king. Right there. Wealthy, influential, handsome, and taller than all the other humans. So frontal cortex says... Great choice. You guys, I do this so much. When I'm trying to make decisions or I look at the facts in front of me, I go, strongest course of action leads to success, king, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah, this is foolish, weak, shorter than all of the other options. That describes King David, the next king who actually was God's pick. We can't trust ourselves. We just can't. Now I don't want to feel I don't want to feel like then you can't make any decisions because you're like well God didn't tell me what color socks to put on and I was choosing the black socks but maybe that's too strong of a choice maybe I should go with the pink socks or you know what I mean like I'm, let's not get ridiculous we still have to make decisions and we still work it out but we still constantly say I choose you as King God and I understand my propensity to make decisions, that my brain is a human brain and it's going to do things and I need you to interrupt me. But that's how we get him involved, is being aware and inviting him in in that process, right? So let's talk about the kind of king God is and compare it To the description of the king who was going to like take your fields and take your best wine. That's a bad king if he's going to take your best wine. Um, I thought that would get a laugh. Come on, Emily. (laughs) Laugh for me. Okay. Compare. Compare this God king with any human leader, great wise thought. Or if you don't have a frontal cortex yet, you're still growing it. Adventurous thought. I'm not saying that wisdom is the only problem here, (laughs) human wisdom. Human adventure is just as problematic, right? It's the whole spectrum. Okay. King Jesus. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Such a different king. Is that king extraordinary? This is the king that said, I am your king, and so I will die for you. Not, I am your king, so I will tax you until you give me the castle I want. <laughs> extraordinary. Have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has, asked, has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. Yes. What an extraordinary king we have. He knows everything. And his passion is you. Mind-blowing. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love extraordinary Why would we ever want another king? Why would we ever want a different source of answers, right, or leadership? So here we are, faced with change, and what do we do? We need to choose him as king. We need to know he will take us places where our brains say, don't go. And this is that machine I don't know the name of. This foundation of hearing him and following him into an unknown future, the foundation is that he is your king. It's the first step. We don't know where God's taking us as a church. We don't know where God's taking us as a country, as an individual. You probably have major decisions going on in your life, and you're like, I don't know what to do. God, give me an answer. But the soil that's going to receive the seed of that answer needs to get chopped up and prepared. And the preparation is kind of what Israel had to do. They cleaned house. They went through and said, I've got some gods (laughs) I've got some other things I trust in. I've got some real strong wisdom or I've got some real pull for adventure. And I need to surrender those to my king because he's extraordinary. And he will do incredible things. Even if we're destitute, even if we're in in danger, he is still our God doing incredible things, right? We need to remind our spirit man. We have a spirit man inside of us, and we need to remind our spirit man who God is because our flesh man is way louder than our spirit man, isn't it? (laughs) And we need to feed our souls again with the truth of God's word that says he is all we need, and he will speak and tell us what to do. He will It's hard work, though. Don't give up until you get the answer. Yes? If you have never chosen God as your king, he's inviting you into an amazing life with him. It's extraordinary being his kids, especially when we actually get it right (laughs) Or, or trust him, right? It's extraordinary. If you've never made him your king, I want to invite you to make him your king today. And maybe he is your king already. And I feel like he's inviting you to that field that isn't dug up yet. There's a part of your life that isn't yet surrendered to him because we all have those, don't we? (laughs) He's inviting you to a deeper walk with him, deeper trust, You guys, the future that's coming is going to be wild. We don't know what's ahead. As a world, we see things coming, right? The Bible foretells it. We know it's going to get wild, and we had better be anchored in our king, (laughs) hadn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna take a little moment to pray together. Just take a moment in the stillness. Yahweh, I choose you as my king. I surrender my brain to you. (laughs) Interrupt my thoughts, God. Show me your ways. Give me the courage to trust you when the evidence of my life doesn't look like it's what I want. Help me to hold your hands and not let go. And when you've spent some time praying, reach forward and grab your communion cups and then we'll take communion together. King Jesus. You laid down your life so we could be in relationship with you. We hold these symbols in our hands. Your body broken for us. Your blood pours out, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Thank you that we don't have to do this life alone. And that you as a king, that you are so good. We take your body and we say yes to you. Yes to everything it means to being your kids. To having you as king, God. And we take this juice that represents your blood. It is the symbol of new beginning for the forgiveness of sins. And we have sinned because we have not followed you entirely as our king. And so we drink this today and accept your forgiveness and we embrace a clean start. Every day, God, remind us that we need you as king fully.
1: Like them in your own time, guys.